almost didn't want to get up. Just let them keep playing. Come on. That's good stuff, isn't it? Some of you were hoping I wouldn't get up and let them keep playing. Come on, tell the truth. Tell the truth. You can ask for forgiveness for that next communion weekend, right? Hey, I got a couple of things I'm going to do just real quick before we get into the into the message tonight. One is just I want to encourage the men again. I know Vanessa already talked about it, but but if if you call this your church home, you need to be at that breakfast with us. It's just we're gonna we're testing the waters to see if this is something that we're gonna to begin to do on a quarterly basis to create an opportunity for our men just to gather together. I, I just I can't stop thinking about that message that Pastor Rob preached last week. Was that not just an amazing message? It was so good. And uh, if you weren't here, you need to get that on the, the, the podcast. But he, he really built this sermon on this idea of one of David's brothers, Eliab, was a voice of why you can't and why you shouldn't. And, and, uh, and can I just tell you, all men struggle with that voice. Every man, there is an Eliab voice in their life, whether it was a father or a coach or, or somebody, a spouse, a, a, a relationship that went sour. But, but every man has this nagging voice in their ear that, that talks to them about why they can't and, and why they shouldn't. And, and, and part of our, our dream here as a church is to create a culture that, that not only silences that voice, right? Because we, that's just halfway. We want to create a culture where we're saying to each other, I'll race you down the mountain to fight that giant. Right? We, we, don't, we, we want to stop the voice of the one that says you can't, but we also want to start the voice that says, I'll beat you there. Right? We, we want men, we want to have a culture of men who we're looking for the giant that we're supposed to slay to protect the people around us. And so if, I'm just telling you, ladies, if your husband's not here tonight, you should pay the $3 and sign him up. Right? And you can blame Pastor Fred. Right? So, so I'm just, we, you, you, we're going to have a great time together. Cam's going to be sharing a little bit from his story. I know Steve's probably going to be sharing a little bit. We're going to have some worship that we're going to do together. It's going to be a delicious breakfast, and uh, so I hope that you plan to come. So, hey, i got one more thing I just I want to do briefly here, too, that uh, as I was pulling up to I try to get to the office a little bit early on, on, on Saturdays just to get my heart right for, for tonight, and as I was pulling up into the parking lot of, of NRBC and was getting out of my car, I just had this amazing sense of clarity, and, and I've, I've come to find that when I have this feeling that it's the Holy Spirit trying to get my attention because God wants to speak something to me. I've never heard God's voice. I say I feel his voice, and, and so, you know, for me, I, you know, I've got these now, right? Right? Because I'm going to be 47 in March. This is a, so now I'm realizing I have to have these with me all the time. Right? Because I was the other day I was at Ethan's basketball practice and we got a call that our, our church credit card was would, had been uh, locked down because there was activity on there that was out of the norm and so they thought it was possibly fraud. It's because we're doing some shopping for the Williamsburg campus and so I said I'll just I, the main account harvest has to call and so I said okay they keep that number on the back of the credit card I'll just give them a call so I pulled a credit card out of my pocket. And I'm looking at the credit card and going, I cannot read these numbers. <laughs> I, I literally can't, right? So you, you know, you've done it, right? You're doing, trying to get it in the light the right way. I was like, I, can't, I cannot. I cannot read these numbers. First time in my life, right? I'm having a crisis here, right? I'm still working through it right now as I'm talking to you. So, so, so and I didn't have, have my reading glasses, but I did have my iPhone. I'm just giving you a little hint here. So I took a picture of it with my iPhone. Yeah, see? See? And then you can zoom in on it. So if you have that problem, you need to go see Dr. Kearney. She can raise your hand over there. She can hook you up. She's helped many of us see. So now I've got to keep a pair of reading glasses. But you know, if you, if you have glasses, you know what I'm talking about, right? As soon as you drop them down, there's clarity. You, it's just sharper. You can see it. 
And so it, a lot of times, if you have a feeling like that on the inside, it's because God's trying to get your attention. And so, and so as, as I got up in, into the office, I just began to pray. And, and this is the, 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 the text that I felt like God wanted me to read. And I'm going to give it to the person I, I think that it's for. But this is out of, uh, uh, it's out of uh, Acts 18. You start reading in verse 24. It says, Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, an eloquent speaker who knew the scriptures well, had arrived in Ephesus from Alexandria in Egypt, and he had been taught the way of the Lord, and he taught others about Jesus with an enthusiastic spirit and with accuracy. See, it's not enough to just be excited about what you're talking about. You've got to know what you're talking about. However, we knew, he knew only about John's baptism. And when Priscilla and Aquila heard him preaching boldly in the synagogue, they took him aside and explained the way of God even more accurately. In one translation, it renders it, they showed him a more excellent way. And so I felt like that was a word for David and Hannah Godwin. And so I'm just giving that to you tonight, that, that Priscilla and Aquila, or Aquila and Priscilla, whichever one you want to say, Aquila was the, the, the husband and Priscilla the wife, that, that they hold a unique distinction in the Bible, that nobody else in Scripture, nobody else in Scripture is ever listed with their spouse every time. It might be a spouse sometimes or, or, or single out another time, but every time they're always listed together. And so what I felt like there was just a Priscilla and Aquila calling on your life, that you have a calling to minister together, to be together, to do the work of the Lord together, side by side. It's going to be hard to figure out where the one stops and the other one starts, and that you're already doing it amongst the college young professionals, that there's a, a gifting in your life to help other people find a more excellent way. That people that are impassioned like Apollos, they're spirited and they have a hunger for Christ, but they need someone to take them and, and pull them in and say, let me show you the deeper things of God and you guys are going to run after it together. So I'm going to pray into that. And then I think there's a children's thing that am I missing tonight? People are trying to get my attention in the back. Oh, I haven't dismissed the kids yet. <laughs> kids, see, they don't, they don't like it when I start talking. All right, we're going to pray. And then we're going to dismiss the kids. All right. I, I saw hands back there waving. It's like, I'm either preaching really good or I've not done something. Because people are standing up and giving witness, right? Okay. So, Father, we just lift up David and Hannah to you today. We thank you for the privilege that we have for them to be a part of this church. And Aquila and Priscilla in our midst that you've joined them together, that you've called them to be together, and there is a ministry of togetherness that you have placed in this world through them. And we know that your spirit moves deep in them in a profound way. And a lot of the young people and the young professionals and the college students that have been around them can bear witness to this word that they have a gifting to show people a more excellent way. They have a gifting to teach people the greater depths of the truths of God's word. And so we say just let that thing come forth out of their life even more than it already is. In Jesus' name, come on and everybody sit together. Amen. All right, let's dismiss the kids. Let's make some noise for our kids. That's great. I get excited sometimes when I get up here, right? It's a lot to keep track of. All right. <clears throat> so we are in the last week of Circle Maker. Uh, it's been a sermon series that we've been doing together on prayer based on Mark Batterson's book. And, uh, and it's, we, we've been saying it's a series about the what is of prayer more than it is the how-to of prayer. That if you don't know what the what is, then the how-to often becomes unproductive and not very fruitful in your life. But when you know what it's about and what it's for, then when you step into the how-to, 
oftentimes is much more fruit-bearing and fruit-giving to your life. So we've been talking a lot about this idea of the what is prayer. So we've talked about a heart that loves, a heart that commands, a heart that believes. We've spent some time talking about this idea that prayer is oftentimes more about seeing into the heart of God than it is about what we're supposed to speak in a place of prayer. And then we've been getting into Acts chapter 2 a little bit. It's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. And so we've been, been drawing a connection between what happened and what they were doing. They were in a place together, in a place of prayer, for about 10 days. We broke that down. If you're curious about where we're getting those numbers, you can get that on the podcast from a couple of weeks ago. And we've been drawing a connection that what they were doing contributed to what took place and what happened. And so we worked through several of those together. And we're going to do the last one together tonight. This idea that together prayer empties us so that we can be filled with the person of the Holy Spirit. Max Lucado says a boxed sized gods. You'll find them in the tight group of people who prefer a God they can manage, control, and predict. This topsy-turvy life requires a tame deity, doesn't it? In a world out of control, we need a God we can control, a comforting presence akin to a lapdog or a kitchen cat. We call, he comes, we pet, he purrs, if we can just keep God in his place. If there is anything that Acts chapter 2 tells us is that God will not be kept in his place. If there's anything that this great text in the Bible tells us is that God is otherworldly, that he is supernaturally, and he is most certainly not controllable. It's, if anything, this text tells us that there should be something inside of us that says, I have no idea what he's going to do next, right? It's like the commercial with the lady that comes into the mall. Have you seen it? And she's got her two kids, and she's giving them the pep talk, pep talk and his parenting, you got to do that. you got to set your kids up for success. So she turns to the son and gives him the pep talk and then turns to the daughter, and, and she says, it can't be like what happened at the petting zoo, and she says, I can't make you any promises, right? She said, I just, I know. I'm just, sometimes I don't know what I'm going to do. God, sometimes we just don't know what God's going to do. It's who he is. We do not want to tame God. We do not want a God that we can control. We do not want a God that we can keep in a box. And maybe that makes you feel like I'm a little bit vulnerable, but it should make you feel safe. Because once you learn how to trust the heart of God, then you can give yourself freely to this idea of God, do with me whatever you will. So just let's get our thoughts moving in the right direction tonight. What are some times in your life where you just couldn't find the right words? Some, maybe it was in a time of sorrow. Maybe it was in a time of great joy. But a time in your life where, where you said, you know, I came to a place where earthly language became inadequate to articulate the depth of my feeling. So you bought a card from Hallmark, right? Somebody. Emily, come on, when Tyler proposed. Nice, look at that. Tyler's like, yeah, that's me, right? Come on. Somebody else oh, in the back, I can't see you, but t- just when Addison was born. Yes, Jenny Bro, when Addison was born. You guys don't like to clap tonight, huh? Come on. That's good stuff. Stan. Yeah, in a place of praying for a friend, and they're just in a place of crisis, and sometimes you just you can't find the words to pray for them. Somebody else? Somebody else? Nathaniel? When your grandma died. Yeah, yeah. Somebody else? Somebody else at time? Can't see who it is. Oh, yeah. Mr. Facio.
Yeah. Yeah, Doug was just saying when he was in the military, and there was just a moment, an encounter that he had with God where God just changed who he was in a moment and just left him speechless. Come on, somebody else. Say it again. Oh, exchanging wedding vows. Yes. Watching September 11th unfold. Yeah, watching September 11th unfold. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, moving from a time of great brokenheartedness to a time of great joy. Come on, those are good, aren't they? You can all think of a time. You can all think of a moment in your life. And, and, and if we stop long enough, you can probably fill pages of moments where you realize that earthly language and human intellect just became inadequate, became insufficient. For, for me, I, I think about the time. It was in March of 1991. I talk about December of 1990 so often. And uh, the, the, the time where I made a vow of devotion to Christ. But, but when I made that vow of devotion to Christ, I was a part of a church much like this one that believed that, was, that Acts chapter 2 is for today. That, that everything in the Bible that, that we read, that God put it there, again, not to tease us for what we can't have, but to stir faith in our heart for what we should long for. And so there was a, a beginning of a journey for me of saying, God, I want to experience what they experienced in Acts chapter 2. I had lots of friends who had experienced what's called the baptism of the Holy Spirit, this idea of being filled with the presence and the person of the Holy Spirit and things that come with that that we're going to talk about tonight. And so I just began a journey of just praying every day and just being hungry for the things that God had for me. And, and we got to into March of that following year, and the church had brought in someone as a guest speaker, like we brought in Pastor Rob last weekend, and, but they were doing multiple services. It was back in the day, right, where you did Wednesday and Sunday morning and Sunday night. And, and so for the Sunday night service, he announced, hey, I'm going to be teaching out of Acts chapter 2. I'm going to be teaching out of Acts, and I had this sense of clarity. I was still learning what that was, but in that moment, I just knew tonight's my night, where I'm going to experience something profoundly supernatural. And it was still soon after my vow of devotion to Christ, and so my life was only just moments away from a, a very ugly life that I used to live, and, and so the, the gravitational pull from your past, if you know what I'm talking about, if you're soon coming out of your vow of devotion to Christ, you know there's a gravitational pull to your past. You with me? And so, so that day, there was just an enormous amount of temptation that came to me to step back into some things that I was trying to walk out of, and I just, with such a conviction, such a conviction. The Holy Spirit was saying, do not give in to this temptation. Now, I didn't realize it then, but that's why I have Acts 5.32 up there, because this is where Luke writes that the Holy Spirit is given to those who obey God. There's something to be, there's a sovereignty that we can't dismiss. I'm not saying that. But there's something about a heart that is deferring. There is something about a heart that surrenders. There's something about a heart that says, God, I want everything that you have for me that makes you a candidate to experience things that are supernatural in your life. And so I stood strong that day, as we talked about recently, about, about, about be strong and stand firm. And we're given those phrases in Peter and, and, and also in Paul's epistle in Ephesians chapter, chapter 6. And so I, I stood in a place. I was strong and stood firm. And so that night when I went to church, he taught on Acts chapter 2, much of what we're going to talk about tonight. And then when they opened up the altars for people to come forward, I could not get up there quick enough. You know, I, I, I just, if you've been in a place in your life where you're just you're, you're so hungry for God, you're willing to knock some people over to get there, right? That's a good thing. Not for the people that get knocked over, but we believe in divine healing, so we'll minister to them as well. 
So I'm up at the front of the church. It's the gymnasium. Uh, they have not built their sanctuary yet. I can go stand in the place in this gymnasium, the, what they call the Family Life Center, to find the place right there on, the, on that ugly orange carpet that used to be in there from the 1970s was my spot. And I was just worshiping and singing along with the music. And they had people that were just kind of working their way through the crowd of people. There was, I don't know, there were probably three, 400 people gathered there that night. And, and I probably about 50 or so that were all at the altar. And uh, one of the elders of the church came and just began to pray over me. And, 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 and in that moment, all of a sudden, there was just a warmth that I felt across my shoulders and, and, and my neck. It, it, was, it was a burning cessation, but not one that hurt, but one that was comforting, if that makes sense. It was an incredible warmth that came upon me. And, and I began to feel things for God that I had never felt before. I began to have thoughts about the glory of God that I had never thought before. And, and, and in that moment, earthly language became inadequate for me. In that moment, my human intellect, as small as it is, which it doesn't take long to, to, to get there, right, became not big enough to even try to communicate in a way that's human. And it was in that moment that there was a phrase that I felt like just came alive in me. I'm going to say it to you. Part of it, I want to say it to you because some of you have never heard somebody use spiritual language before. And I want you to see that my eyes aren't going to roll back in my head. My head's not going to spin around. I'm not going to fall down and start frothing at the, at the mouth, right? And this phrase was shunda makila kanda shunda. And I'll never forget that phrase. I have no idea what it means. I'm going to talk about that when we get to the end of the sermon. I just kept saying that phrase over and over and over. And I am telling you in that moment that I have never felt so free in expressing myself. I have never felt so free in just being able to communicate from me to someone else. And in this moment, it was my creator. It was, it was my God. And it was the most liberating experience that I had ever had to that point in my life. And now it's a part of my everyday life. Multiple times. I cannot imagine living my life without this ability to speak in a spiritual language. We're going to talk about this a little bit more tonight. Now, that one phrase has just grown into this language that, that just I'm more comfortable praying in a spiritual language than I am in English. Up here when we're in the worship set, I'm just pray, I'm, I'm worshiping in the Spirit more. It's a lot of work to follow the words on the screen. Are you with me? Is it not? Right? And just so you just find the melody of the song and just begin to worship God. And, and, and there's this place of freedom that you find as a child of God to be able to express yourself to Him in a way that is unencumbered by human intellect in earthly language. You could find people that would come in who have, would have degrees that could fill this room, that could talk to you why it's not for today. And at the end of the day, I only have one answer for them. I can only tell you what happened to me. I can only tell you what happened to me. It's in this book, so what happened to me isn't enough. You with me? It's in here first, and it's in here too. And for me, at the end of the day, that's all that I need, and that's what I'm sharing with you tonight. The, the together prayer empties the devout to be filled with the person of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to work through five questions. We might get off the clock a little bit tonight, but I want to get through all five of these. Different is, is this experience, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, different from my vow of devotion to Jesus? We're going to start there. So in John chapter 20, verses 20 through 22, this is one of Jesus' post-resurrection experiences. It's one of his first post-resurrection experience. So he comes into the room where the disciples are gathered. It says he spoke. He showed them the wounds in his hands and his side, and they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace 
be with you, and the Father has sent me, and so I'm sending you. And listen to what it says here in verse 22. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, I believe this is the moment of their salvation. I believe this is the moment that, that, that where the disciples experience the indwelling of the Spirit of God in all of its entirety. We're going to talk about that in a minute. When you experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you're not getting more of God. You get all of who God is at the moment you make a vow of devotion to Christ. We use the language that it's when you take your first spiritual breath. It's John chapter 3 where Jesus is teaching Nicodemus about this idea of being born again. And so when you make a vow of devotion to Christ, you get all of who God is in you in that moment. And, and how I like to think of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that it's a spiritual chiropractic experience. It's about the Spirit of God already inside of you being pushed into a place of becoming the dominant influencer of your will. It doesn't mean that you become a perfect person. It doesn't mean that you become a faultless person. But I do believe that you are positioned there's a spiritual alignment that takes place in your life where there's a clarity that comes that you never had before in walking with the Holy Spirit in your life. If you've ever been to a chiropractor, you know what it's like for your body to be out of alignment. I did something to my back the day after Thanksgiving. I think it had to do with trying to throw the Christmas tree around, right? I have to remember, I'm almost 47. I'm not 27. I got to ask for help. And so, so, but I thought to myself, right, as guys do, yeah, I did that. Right? I put that tree, that eight-foot tree on the top of the car all by myself, and I feel good. Right, Until Sunday when I was reaching for something in an awkward position. I'm like, okay, now I feel like I'm 97. Right, So I'm calling the chiropractor on Monday morning. He gets me in, and he's, he's, he's doing an adjustment. If you've ever been in that place, you know how it feels to get back into alignment with your physical body. Spiritually, you might be here tonight, and you're not in alignment. And there's something that God wants to do in you to bring you into a place where you are properly and rightly aligned spiritually, where the Spirit of God becomes the dominant influencer of your will. It's interesting to me that this encounter happened with the disciples 50 days after Jesus' death. We know that Jesus appeared for 40 days in post-resurrection experiences, and then there were 10 more days that came after that. They were in a place of prayer in the upper room. Why? Because the Feast of Pentecost, we've talked about this, is Penta, it means 50. It was the feast that happened in Jewish tradition that was 50 days after the Feast of Passover. Jesus was crucified during the Feast of Passover. 50 days later, we find Acts chapter 2. Now, why is that? I think God did that with great intentionality. I think God did that with great intentionality because he wanted us to understand that these are different things. Can they happen at the same time for a person? They can, but there's two things coexisting in that moment. I think he put it in the world, if you believe in the intentionality of the sovereignty of God, he separated these things out because he knew we were going to come to places like this asking the question, are they the same? And through the text, we see that they are separate encounters. Randy Hurst, who's a great theologian in the Assemblies of God, says when we experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we don't get more of God, he gets more of us. It's a great line, isn't it? We don't get more of him, he gets more of us. All right, number two. Number two. Together prayer empties the devout to be filled with the person of the Holy Spirit. Is it something that I should expect and pursue? So maybe you're here tonight and you're thinking to yourself, I can see, Fred, as I look into the text and I hear you talking that, that, that I'm beginning to see that there is a separate experience that, that God wants me to have, but maybe he doesn't want me to have it. Maybe it's just for other people. Maybe it's not for me. Maybe it's just for others. So let's talk about that just for a moment. In Hebrews chapter 6, I'm going to start reading in verse 1. Verses 1 through 2. So, so let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. 
Let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding. Surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds and placing our faith in God. You don't need further instruction about baptisms. We're going to come back to that. It's plural, and there's a reason it's plural. The laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. I believe that it's plural. Different theologians disagree on this, but I'm of the stream, as many others are, the school of thought, that it's plural because the Bible speaks of multiple baptisms. And I believe, as again, as a lot of others do, there's four that the Bible speaks specifically of as you search scripture. There's the baptism of water. That's what you step into. That's an outward expression of your inward devotion to Christ, your water baptism, which, which we're excited about now that the, the, the Williamsburg campus meets in the YMCA because they have a pool. We've never had access to water, right? Except for for, for uh, water that has to be warm for us to get into it. So baptisms lay dormant for us most of the year, so we're excited about being able to do water baptisms all year round, and they also have a water slide. So we're just saying, if you're feeling a little adventuresome, we're letting you go down the slide. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, as you go through the turn into the water. So water baptism. We believe in the water, ba- water baptism. It's important. Water baptism is one. There is baptism into the church. The Bible talks about being baptized into the church, which is a symbolic phrase. It mean, it's, it's when the Bible's talking about becoming a part of a church family. It's, it's about joining a church. It's entering into a covenant relationship with other people. It's not just attending, but it's saying, this is my church family. It's my spiritual family. And the Bible uses a phrase. It's called being baptized into the church. There's baptism of fire, which is oftenly confused with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But when the Bible's talking about baptism of the fire, more often than not, it's talking about suffering. We don't like sermons about suffering, right? It's it's this idea that hardship does something inside of us. I call it redemptive affliction. It shapes our character like few other things do. Baptism of fire. And the last one is this idea of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The writer of Hebrews is writing this letter. It doesn't go into great detail, but because in that day and that time that, that, that people understood, hey, there's more than one baptism. And somewhere along the way, the church narrowed in just into this one concept of water baptism. And we want to be one of those churches that's standing up, raising our hands, saying, hey, there's more than one baptism that we read about in Scripture, and all of them are for all of us. Let me read this statement to you. It's not odd to follow a spiritual leader such as Jesus. People don't find that odd. Even people that don't believe in, believe in Jesus don't find you odd if you're a Christian. It's, just, it's, it's an accepted part of a society. It's not odd to believe that difficult circumstances build character. People, don't, people aren't surprised. When you say that, people don't go, huh, I've never thought about that before, right? It's commonplace. It's not odd to join and be devoted to a spiritual community. This idea of being a part of a church, it's just an accepted part of culture. Even if people don't practice it themselves, they recognize the value of it for others. It is, however, still considered quite odd to profess having had a supernatural spiritual encounter that leaves a person with the ability to pray and worship in a spiritual language. It's interesting, isn't it? That when you get to that one, people go, oh, let's not get crazy, right? Right? There's something about that's off-putting to people, and I think one of the reasons why it's off-putting to people is because they've seen a lot of off-putting stuff. They've seen a lot of things happen that are out of order. They've seen a lot of things happen. They've heard a lot of poor teaching, and I'm just saying we feel like part of the call of this church is to, is to bring a witness to Acts chapter 2 to the world that is true to the Word of God. We're not, we don't say that with arrogance. We consider that a privilege, and we're not the only church with it, but it is something that we preach from the pulpit at least once a year, sometimes a couple of times a year. Because I believe the world is hungry for teaching that brings truth to this thing because I think God wants this fourth baptism to find its place into a place of acceptance just as much 
as the other three. Acts 2.39, this promise is to you and to your children. The language there is very specific. It's Luke saying this is not just for today. It's for everyone, for all generations. All who have been called by the Lord our God. If you've got your Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, I'm going to start reading in verse 28. It's by this time they were nearing Emmaus and the end of their journey. And Jesus acted as if he were going on past them. They didn't know it was Christ yet. This is another post-resurrection experience that these people had. So, So they said, stay the night with us since it's getting late. So he went home with them, and as they sat down to eat, he took the bread and he blessed it. And then he broke it and he gave it to them, and suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And at that moment, he disappeared. It's pretty powerful stuff, isn't it? Can you imagine? Of course, right, we know the rest of the story. They get up and they run back to Jerusalem. They tell the story that Jesus is alive, that that many people believe that he had not risen yet. And so here we have the story. It's a launch of a great ministry. If you've ever been on an Emmaus walk, that's what the text that all of this is is, is connected to. And, And one of the reasons I'm reading that is because there are times in our lives where we just don't see it. Right? There's times in our lives where we, we just don't see something. And, and, and again, oftentimes it's because of what other people have taught us, or, or it might be just because of our own unwillingness to accept it. And then there are moments we come to revelation, which is what happened to them, where it just in an instant their eyes were open and they just saw the truth of who Jesus was. That happens with people when they come to make a vow of devotion to Christ, but it also happens to people when it comes to things that are true about God's Word. I'm sharing that with you because I'm not asking you to believe what I say tonight. What I'm asking you to do is to step into a place of prayer where you would say, Jesus, if there is something that I can't see in regards to this teaching of Acts chapter 2, open my eyes. That's the only thing I'm asking you to do. God loves those kinds of prayers. There is something about stepping into a place. Maybe you're here tonight and you're saying, Fred, I, I can see where th- there's, this, there's another experience. There's something supernatural that I can encounter. And I- I'm willing, I'm not sure I'm willing to go there and say I want it to happen to me. But I'm willing to begin a prayer that says, God, I want everything that you have for me. Jesus, I want to walk in everything that you would lead me into. I hope that prayer would be a part of your life all the days for the rest of your life for everything regarding your life. All right, number three, together prayer empties the devout to be filled with the person of the Holy Spirit. Will I lose control of myself? I get, I get this question probably more than any other question when it comes to this conversation about Acts chapter 2. My answer is always the same. You'll be in control of yourself to the degree that you already are now. Right? If you have a problem with self-control, you might continue to have a problem with self-control, Right? And so a lot of people that you've seen and observed that, that were, were, quote, acting under the inspiration and the power of the Holy Spirit, a lot of times it's not the Holy Spirit at all. It's just because they have a problem with self-control. And they do weird stuff because they are a little bit of eccentric of a person. And so what happens so much in the world, especially in charismatic circles, that people who are odd become the benchmark that people think that's what it means to move in the Spirit. And I think the Holy Spirit's saying, why? 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 Stop looking at those people. They have a self-control problem, and I'm dealing with them with that. But don't, don't, don't put that on me, right? Don't give that my name. 
Galatians 5, 22 to 23, Paul writes to the church of Galatia the list of the fruit of the Spirit. And what's in there? Self-control, right? It's, it's clear. If people have a problem with self-control, they should not be using the Holy Spirit as justification, as an excuse to continue in that behavior. A person who's moving under the inspiration and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit is always going to be a person that's moving to bring glory to Christ and not attention to themselves. A person that's truly moving under the power of the Holy Spirit, even if it causes us to see them, when we see them, we don't see them, we see Christ. I love what A.W. Tozer says, that, that the eye is the greatest picture of Christianity because it sees everything except itself. There's this calling to be a window in the world that people see through us and see the Christ that is in us. 1 Corinthians 14, 32 through 33, this conversation, the world's been having it for 2,000 years. Paul had to deal with it in the church of Corinth. It was a church that was out of order. It was a church that moved in the supernatural, but it was a church that needed correction. And right there, Paul writes them, hey, every person is in control of themselves, even at their greatest height of experience, the power of the Holy Spirit in their life. He talks about the, the Spirit is subject to the prophet. So there he's talking specifically about prophecy, but the principle holds true. We cannot use the Spirit of God as an excuse to be out of control. Paul says just the opposite. And then he goes on to say the famous verse there in 33 that God is a God of decency and order. Now, we've all been, I have, I've grown up around the, the, what you want to call the Pentecostal church or the charismatic church, and I've been in some disorderly settings before. And I think God says, hey, I love their passion. They're like Apollos. And they need a Priscilla and Aquila to come and show them a more excellent way. We believe in the power of God. We believe that you can't put God in a box. But when God is outside of the proverbial box, it should not be a setting and in an atmosphere that is described by things like disorder and distraction. So I remember in, in, in March of 1991 when I experienced the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit there at Mechanicsville Christian Center in Mechanicsville, Virginia. That was on a Sunday night, and so I worked for the Christian Children's Fund, back then the Child Sponsorship Agency. And so I got up early that morning, and I was heading to, to work, and I kept the McDonald's across the street in business because I ate both breakfast and lunch there. And, uh, and so I was going, in my dream, right, I'm having this dream, I'm going through the drive through at the McDonald's on West Broad Street, and in my dream as I pull up to the box where they asked for the order, when I opened my mouth, I could only speak in spiritual language. I had lost my ability to speak in English, right? So in my dream, I'm going, oh God, what has happened to me, right? And so then I get on the elevator with my boss in my dream, and my boss says, how was your weekend? And I don't want to talk, right? Because I know that I, and so then I'm finally, I have to say, and I open my mouth, and I'm speaking in the spiritual language, and they're like, what's wrong with you, right? And so I wake up from this dream, and I'm laughing, right? Because God knows how to disarm our fears, God knows how to deal with the fears that we have. And I know that was God saying to me, do you think that's how I'm going to treat you? Do, do you think, you believe that I'm your perfect father, that I would do that to you? Do you think that I would take your life and use you so that we could have a laugh in heaven? Do, do you think that I would put you in a situation or circumstance where I would want to demean you and to belittle you? And all of a sudden there was just a confidence that, that well up inside of my heart, absolutely he would never do this to me. That this gift that I've experienced, this encounter with the Spirit of God that I've stepped into, it's about building me up. It's not about tearing me down. Larry Kreider. Another great teacher. We got exposed to a lot of his teaching when we were at a, uh, a conference several years ago through Ministers Fellowship International. He writes, we live by the word of God, not by other people's experiences. 
we, we may see something happen in the name of the Holy Spirit that may not be the Holy Spirit at all and think I want nothing to do with it. But we cannot throw out the baptism of the Holy Spirit because of what we saw or experienced that was not authentic. Again, you might be here tonight and you would say, Fred, I, I can kind of get there with you that I think there's this other encounter that's waiting for me and I'm willing to enter into this place of praying, God, I, I want everything that you have for me and my heart is settled that I know that I can trust my Father. All right, number four, we're doing good. Together prayer empties the devout to be filled with the person of the Holy Spirit. Is spiritual language specifically, this idea of spiritual language, is it for everyone? So a lot of people teach that the, the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is, is an experience for everyone, but this idea of spiritual language, that that's just one of the list of gifts, and you can experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and this particular gift might not be a part of your life. And I'm going to respectfully disagree with that, and I'm going to talk to you about what I believe the spiritual language is about, and I'm going to deal with the three specific texts that I believe speak to spiritual language in three distinct ways in God's Word. And the first one is this, in 1 Corinthians 12, 29 through 30, there is the, this is the text. That's the reference, and this is me explaining it. There is the person whose primary gift to the body of Christ is a prophetic ministry of declaring a message from God that must be accompanied by an interpretation. This may not be your calling. Right? So we talked about that in our, in our last message when we got into Acts chapter 2, that there's this idea of spiritual gifts, and everybody has a gift that defines their function and their role in the body of Christ, and everybody has different kinds of gifts and different kinds of calling. And so for some people, they just move in this prophetic gifting, and oftentimes that prophetic utterance comes out of them in a spiritual language. And, and whenever, the Bible's very clear, whenever there is something said in a spiritual language as a message from God to people, the Bible says that has to be accompanied by an interpretation. If it's not accompanied by an interpretation, then that's out of order. Now, if you happen to be sitting next to someone, if you're sitting next to me over here during the worship service and you're eavesdropping on my worship, that's on you, right? Right? So if you're in here early and I'm just walking around praying, I'm praying in a spiritual language, right? You're, that's on you. There's this idea that you, sometimes you overhear other people's conversation with God. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. Now, there's something wrong with it if they do it in a way, in a time of the service that begins to distract everyone else. We've had that happen before, and then we, come on, we Priscilla and Aquila them. We show them a more excellent way. You might not, this might not be your calling, right? There was an elder in the church that was instrumental that I start, started attending when I was living with my parents, where I made a vow of devotion to Christ. His, his name was Charlie Bevels. He was a former FBI agent. He was about six foot five, this mountain of a man, but he had the most gentle of a heart. And I remember that, that I would get to church late because I was living with my parents. I was trying to save up money for law school. I did not like to be in the worship service because I felt conviction in my heart. You with me? Because of the life that I was living, I couldn't, I was so uncomfortable during the worship because it's what we understand that worship awakens us to the spirit of God and so I had it pretty well timed that I would come in during the last song I would slip into my seat next to my parents they would save a spot for me and then I would be able to slip in during the last song and endure just one or two choruses and but if somebody began to share something that God had put on their heart they wouldn't let you come in during that time you would have to stand outside the door because they didn't want you to be a disruption and so I remember standing right in, I mean literally I was right in the doorway and this guy Charlie Bevels began to to to, to give a, a prophetic word in a spiritual language and so the church paused and then he gave an interpretation. That's a fallacy too, that if you've been taught that it can't come from the same person, the Bible doesn't say anything about that. It can come from that person. It can come from another person. It just says there has to be an interpretation. So he gives his the interpretation and there he is. He said, This is what he says, how long are you going to stand on the fence? 
What more do you need to see me do for you to give your heart to me? How many lives do you need to see change? One, ten, a hundred, a thousand, ten? You just give me the number, I'll do it to capture your heart. And right, so I'm just, tears are streaming down my face. I'm like, this is why I don't like to come to this stinking church, right? I just want to check it off my box and go home, right? And it didn't happen that day, but it was soon coming. God knows what we need to hear. I, Charlie's gone on to be with the Lord. I, he, they had moved down to Charleston, South Carolina, and when he passed, I had the privilege of going to his funeral and telling that story. And His wife was such a precious lady, and, and they're just his. So many people are going to spend an eternity because of Charlie, because he wasn't afraid to move in his gift. But his gift might not be your gift, but you've got one, and it's supposed to have the same result. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 and 11. This is another moment where the Bible talks about spiritual language. There are moments when people are are compelled by God to be an instrument of his being manifested to the world. This may not happen to you. This is where we talked about last week. There's there's, there's, there's phrases where we talk about motivational giftings and manifestational gifts and all these types of gifts. And we said, let's just set that aside for a moment. But there are times we've got to bring the complexity back in so there can be understanding. And there's times where, where, where Paul talks about this idea that God wants to reveal himself to the world in a supernatural way. And it's so supernatural that it's undeniable that it's him. And we told some stories about that. And you should get that on the podcast. But one of the things that's listed here in the beginning of 1 Corinthians 12 is this idea of spiritual language and the interpretation that comes with that. There are times where God, it might not be your gifting, but he wants to use you in that way supernaturally in the moment. So you have a gift that God's given you that defines your function in the body of Christ, but it doesn't mean that you're not a candidate for any of the others. It just means that it doesn't define who you are. We're a candidate to be used by God with any of the gifts. It just not, might not be the one that defines my function in the body of Christ. You with me? You can think of it for marriage. If you're married, there's probably a division of duties that are in your home. You with me? And sometimes the person that's responsible for that particular duty is not there. You're called of God to step up into that moment, right? Right? If you've got young kids and your wife is the primary diaper changer in the relationship, right? You know who you are? And your wife's going to the devoted conference, right? It doesn't mean that you wait until she gets back home, right? You, you step up into the moment, even though it might define your role in that marriage. You with me? We can laugh about it, but it's the same in the body of Christ. We're a candidate for anything, even though it might not be what defines us. So spiritual language is referenced in this list of things where God wants to manifest himself to the world. Then we come to this third mention of spiritual language. It's not the only mention, but a third one I feel like defines what spiritual language is. It's a big concept. There is the ability to express ourselves to God in times of prayer and worship, unencumbered by human intellect and earthly language, and this is for everybody. Why would God say, I'm going to give it to some and not the other? I I, I can't fathom that. And this text is an important text for me. It's not an obscure text. It's a primary text. 1 Corinthians 14, 18. This is where Paul says, I speak in tongues, or we call it spiritual language because people don't use the word tongue for the word language anymore, right? Speak in tongues, I pray and worship in spiritual language. You know what he says? More than all of you. And in that one little verse, Paul reveals the assumption of his heart. He assumes that everybody does just like him. He doesn't say more than some of you. He doesn't say more than those that that's their gift. He says more than all of you, and it's a letter to an entire church. 
God is using Paul here to teach us something profound about spiritual language. That this is something that he wants all of us to move in so that when we step into moments of prayer and worship where we cannot find the words, where our intellect fails us, God says in that moment, you do not have to be silent. All right, this is my last one. Together prayer empties the devout to be filled with the person of the Holy Spirit. What if I don't understand what I'm saying? 1 Corinthians 14, 26 talks to us about a concept, but that it introduces a word, and it's the word to edify. It's the word edification. This is a, an important biblical word. It means to build something up. It's the, right, we get this word in edifice. A building has an edifice. It's, it's built. It's, it's created. And so, so much of Paul's letters, he reaches for this word that, that it's supposed to be edifying. When he talks about no unwholesome talk should come out of our mouth, that, that the measure of what we say to people shouldn't be based on whether or not it's true. It should be, be based on whether it's edifying, whether it's going to build them up, right? So people that you know that say, well, it's true. That's why you don't have permission to say it just because it's true. It has to pass through the filters. It's going to build that person up. That's the measure. And so here in 1 Corinthians 14, 26, Paul introduces this idea of edification. Now, we are a Western culture. We're all about the information. You with me? We, we, it's, for us, it's all about the knowledge. And that becomes a hang-up for us in our spiritual journey because in our spiritual journey, sometimes it's not about the information. It's about the edification. And it's hard for us to connect with that. And our, as an earthly being, the spiritual side of us is, 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 is we're filled with the Spirit when we make a vow of devotion to Christ that life gets a little bit complicated for us. And, and we begin to realize it's not just about the information anymore. It's about something inside of me. Peter calls it the cryptos anthropos cardia, the hidden person of the heart. It's my immaterial self. That that part of me is supposed to grow. It's supposed to develop. It's supposed to be edified. And God says this thing called spiritual language builds you up so that you can grow in your spiritual life. And sometimes you grow because you don't understand. That you grow because I bypass the limitation of your mind because I want to do so, something so deep in you that you would never be able to figure it out. And then you might say, well, that's a little bit risky. And what I would say to you, it happens in the world every day. I tell this story every year. Every year I find a way to tell this story. That when Derek was born, July 29th of 2000, is he in here? Is he working somewhere out in there? He is over there, right? So, so, so we rushed to the hospital in the middle of the night. We had that story where Vanessa goes into labor and we jump into our, our Dodge Stratus and we're barreling down the interstate. And, and, uh, and you're hoping to get pulled over so you can get the police escort to the hospital, right? That's every guy's dream. I hope somebody pulls me over so they can get, right? So that didn't happen. So, so. So we get to the hospital, and, and, uh, and, and so Derek's, you know, doing all the things that happen, and, and, and actually, I'm not doing anything. She's doing everything that happens, and I'm just trying not to pass out. And so we're in the hospital room, and, and there's, there's a complication, and, and uh, he's, he's stuck in the, in, in the birth canal. And so, and, and so they, they rush in all the NICU people, and the room is filled with all these specialists. And if you know that if you get trapped in the birth canal, there's lots of things that can happen that can, can go wrong. And so, so all of a sudden, you know, this is our first child and, and we're so excited and, and so joyful and somebody shared earlier about the idea of going from a place of being broken hearted to a place of being filled with joy. Flip flop that and that was us. We were going from a place of being joyful to a place of just we're frightened. We're afraid. 
We're afraid for the life of our child. Afraid for the life of Vanessa, right? And, and so the room is packed. You can barely move in, in, in this room. It's like Holly Dazzle across the street. Like last night, you can't move in there because all these people are in there doing all this stuff. And, and, and like you're hoping to be able to, you know, to cut the umbilical cord, all that stuff. I didn't get to do any of that. They just, they did what they could to birth this child who's sitting right over there in the, in the youth section who's turned 13. And it's such a pride and joy for us, for him and for all of our kids. Ethan's over, is Ethan in there too? Ethan's over there too. Come on. Yeah, we'll tell about story about you later. All right, so. You should see the tooth that he pulled out of his mouth, just speaking of other stories, right? I think the root on that thing was about this long. I think it was probably stuck in his, yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. All right, equal time. Claire's in workshop, so we'll give her time at a later date. Right, all right. So, 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 so Derek, he's birthed, and they, they, they put him in the incubator, which is, you know, the clear plexiglass thing, and, and uh, they, 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 they put him in there, and they got that thing stuck down his throat, and because they f- swallow things they're not supposed to swallow, because they're sucking all that stuff out of there, and they're surrounded by him, and he's just screaming at the top of his lungs, screaming, right? And I'm thinking, that's my son, right? So I don't recommend that you do this, but I p- sh- kind of shoved the people out of the way, Right? I'm a big guy, and so I'm just kind of, dis- these nurses are little, and I'm just pushing them to the side. And, and, uh, and, and, and so, and then I get down on my knees, right? And, and, and Derek's head is right here, and his feet are there, and he's, he's just red. He's screaming so loud. He's looking straight up. And all of a sudden, I just begin to say, Derek, it's your dad. We're so, we're so glad you're here. We love you. We can't wait to get to know. I'm just talking and whatever comes. And, the, and all of a sudden they stop working on him, which is, again, what I don't recommend that you would do this. So I'm just telling you the story. So, so they all just stop working on him. He's screaming, and all of a sudden he stops. And he torques his neck and turns his head, and he looks over to find my face. Now, he doesn't understand what a father is. There, there's, there's no intellectual understanding in this infant child about what's happening, right? You, you get what I'm saying? Our world is filled with moments where, where there is a connection of the heart that just runs so fast that the brain either can't catch up or is never advanced enough to figure it out. And no one can tell me in that moment that he did not feel who I was, that I was his father because he had been hearing my voice for nine long months. I'm just telling you here tonight that when you step into this place of saying, God, I trust and believe that if there is something more than what I've experienced that you want me to walk in, that you're going to bring revelation to who I am. I trust that you're a perfect father, that you're not going to do anything to demean me or to belittle me. And there are times in my life where I find myself in human intellect and earthly language isn't enough. And in that moment, I trust that there's a connection in my heart that I'm going to have. Even if I don't know when I'm saying it doesn't matter. Because acts of expression always lead to feelings of intimacy and God wants you to step into the deepest kinds of expression that you can ever find so that you can find a bond with his heart that is bigger than anything in this world. You invite the worship team to come back up. Come on, 633, that's not too bad. Come on. When I said I was going to get off the clock, nobody stood up and waved their hand, right? They, were all, they weren't excited for that, right? Beauty of spiritual language, if, if, if I've piqued your curiosity, or even if I have offended you tonight, come on. 
you gotta, you got to pick this book up. This is the b- best book that has ever been written apart from the Bible on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Jack Hayford, and you can pick up anything by Jack Hayford. I'm a big Jack Hayford fan. It was another Christmas time at the Hayford household, and I was feeling rather smug about my gift plans for Anna. She has outplanned me so many times, surprising me with things I hadn't imagined as she thoughtfully prepared all year long for what she would give me. But this time, I was sure that I was about to top her. Because sometimes, right, right we, we talk about this. We, we believe in, in keeping score at the City Life Church. My love for this dear lady with whom I've spent decades of marriage, joy, made it especially fulfilling to anticipate. I'd prepared one of those big boxes with lots of little boxes inside kind of presents. And when Christmas Eve arrived, all of us, the kids, grandkids, of course me, we all laughed and clapped and cried as Anna opened each individual present within the larger box. Our boys had hoisted the big box in front of their mother and all eyes turned to watch. I saw to that. I said, hey kids, it's time to watch your dad shine, right? Because in the end, it's all about us as husbands, right? We know that to be true. Come around and see what I got your mother. There were practical gifts, there were beautiful gifts, there were closing clothing gifts, there were sentimental gifts, but there were tears when Anna opened a portrait of her mother that I had framed, a touching picture of a pioneer, spirited woman, now 92 years old, who raised nine children on the Nebraska Plains. That scene comes to mind as an apt picture of the Heavenly Father's heart toward the Bride of Christ. It's appropriate because, in fact, every good and perfect gift comes from Him, James 1.17. And each of the many mercies and goodnesses and abundances and giftings He lavishes are bound up in one great package, the gift of eternal life. Come on, this man can write, can he not? The grand, all-inclusive gift with all that potentially will be discovered within it was purchased through the one whose blood was paid with such loving kindness to be poured out upon us, our Lord, Jesus Christ, the Father, Son. In reality, the whole of salvation is wrapped up in one large package, Jesus. So from the inception of our new life in Christ, we have the full bounty of all that is promised to us. But just as my wife needed to unwrap each of the individual gifts within the larger gift box, it is the same with us and our journey with Christ. Stand with me. Father, as we step into this moment together, this place of worship that you've led us into tonight, Holy Spirit, that we would see that for all of us, that there's a big old box in front of us and it's your son. And that for all of us here, that we would be willing to say, God, if there is a gift in him that I have yet to unwrap, I want to hold it tonight because I want everything that you have for me. And Jesus, it's in your name that I pray. We're going to step into this place of worship. There's people that are gathered on either side. Whatever it is that you want to come for for prayer. If it's to step into the moment of Acts chapter 2 for you, then they would love to pray with you about it. Whatever it is 
that you want to come for tonight. I guarantee you there's somebody here at the end of communion, the first worship set, you thought, I should have gone up for prayer and you didn't come on. God heard you and says, all right, well, let's create another opportunity for you. Don't let this one pass you by. Come on, let's worship together. There's nothing worth more that will ever come close. Nothing can compare because you're all living hope. Your presence. I tasted and seen of the sweetest of loves when my heart becomes free. Shame is up. 